that sit back there. They need to be told. We appreciate you very much. Amen. This Saturday, we better get more on that list for this Saturday's dinner at Rosa's. So there's a list out there. People can sign up. If you can't come, just let me know and we can change the date, which you know how much I hate to do that, but it's on the 17th. So I think there's one name on it right now. So I think there's three names. Is there more? Who has signed up? You have? Have you guys? Oh, pardon? You can't go. Okay. You can't go either? You care if we change it? That works for me. All righty. I understand this is a very busy time of year. And excuse me while I take off my bracelet. Okay. What else do we have? Communion is sunny, come prepared. Amen. How many remember what I taught on on Sunday morning? Pardon? Yes, amen. And how many have been practicing the presence of God in your life? How many changed some things in your life after Sunday's sermon? I think we all did. So let's go ahead and let me open in prayer. Father, I just thank you and I praise you for your word that shall go forth tonight. I thank you, Father God, for the privilege that we have to be here in this country and worship freely. Some countries can't worship you freely, Jesus. And we're very grateful. And we're in an hour and we're in a time where we need to fight for our freedom. People are going to need to rise up in this, in, in this next two months and fight not only in prayer, but really start speaking the word over our freedom, calling our senators and those that are in authority over us, telling us what, what the word of God says about our commandments and things. So God, I just ask you to use me. I yield myself to you, spirit, soul, and body tonight. And that this word, this seed, will fall on good ground, good soil. So let's turn to Psalms 101, verse 7. I think I wanted verse 6. I'm sorry. Let's go ahead and start, start with verse 1. I will sing of mercy and loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing. I will behave myself wisely, verse 2, and give heed to the blameless way. Oh, when you come to me, I will walk within my house in integrity and with, blame, with a blameless heart. Hang on, everything's falling around here. Okay, 
and with a blameless heart. I will set no base or wicked thing before my eyes. Notice what he's saying. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them who turn aside from the right path. It shall not grasp hold of me. When, you know, we live in a day and an hour where there is so much wickedness around us. How many realize that? All you have to do is go out on the street, you know, just go out and your leave your house and drive around for a while. And here he's saying, I will set no base or wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them who turn aside from the, from the right path. It shall not grasp hold of me. So in the King James it says, um, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Remember, I think when I think about that, I think about Lot who was vexed just by being around people, just by being around the wickedness, the perverseness and the things that went on, the pride and the strife and everything that went on. It cleaved to him, it cleaved to his family, which was sad. And you know, he was considered, you know, the wise men in those days sat at the gates of the city. And so he was considered a wise man in those days. And he sat at the gates of the city, yet this stuff got on him. So much that I always think of, you know, when I think about how many people, and I shared this Sunday, I believe, how many people he took to Sodom and Gomorrah with him, and he could not even get four people out. His wife, the angels, had to grab hold of her, all of them, and drag them, and she turned and looked back because she longed for the place. You think of the thousands that went with them and only three came out, and the three that came out were filled with wickedness, he and his two daughters. And so it says here, I will set no wicked things before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Wow, that's pretty hard in the days we live in to not know a wicked person. How many realize that? A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know an evil person or thing. That's the Amplified. Verse 5, whose privately slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off from me. He who has a naughty look, a haughty look, I'm sorry, haughty, not naughty, haughty look, well, naughty too, but haughty, and a proud and arrogant heart, I cannot and I will not tolerate. Wow. Who, who so privately slanderous his neighbor, him will I cut off, him that hath the high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. 
Wow, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? My eyes shall look with favor upon the faithful of the land. So those that are faithful, God looks on us with favor. That's powerful. That is really powerful. That they may dwell with me. He who walks blamelessly, he shall minister to me. He who walks deceitfully shall not dwell in my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. That's heavy. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. So a liar cannot continue in the presence of God. Morning, and a morning after morning, I will root up all the wicked in the land, that I may eliminate all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. That's powerful, isn't it? At least that's powerful to me. So it was verse 7. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. So we went down to John 1, 5, and 6 that tells us, this is the message that we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we shall say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Many times we not, you know, we or others don't worship or do not connect with God and feel his presence because we will not acknowledge and confess our sin. You know, people, we, people don't realize how important it is when you sin to confess it. You know, ask forgiveness immediately. Don't just wait. You know, someone, someone that's proud and haughty has the attitude, well, I don't feel like it and I'm not going to. That starts, begins a hardness in a person's heart. And sooner or later, that hardness just gets like an onion skin. How many have ever peeled an onion skin? And it just, it just is harder and harder and harder to peel. And sooner or later, they're backslidden and they don't even realize it. They can be sitting on the, on the church pew and be backslidden with unforgiveness and not even realize it. And it's not worth it. Just recently, we had some... Um, friends that you don't know that just went through a, a church split and she um, called me and we're very very close and it it I could feel it start to get on get bug me and me start to get upset and angry and judge the people and I said whoa take that away get it away from me I'm not going to become a part of this you know I can pray and believe and whatever but I'm not going to let it affect me you know having gone through some things that they went through in the past I just had to literally back up the back up the train just back it up and say I'm not I'm not getting involved in this I will in prayer but I'm not going to allow old memories or old things to come up in my in my thought life it's not worth it what you know that's not even my battle you know anytime a friend goes through something and you're praying for them you're in the battle with them but i'm not going to i am not going to take upon myself that anger or whatever or the feeling that the that they've been done wrong that's between god 
God will deal with it. And so I just want to put that out there for each one of us because it's easy when a loved one or a family member or someone you care about gets hurt or someone has done, you know, somebody has something done wrong to them. It's real easy to allow that to affect you and it's not worth it. A lot of people are going to end up in hell because they've taken on someone else's cause where the other person has already forgiven that person. Everything's fine now and yet you're letting it disturb you. It's not, you know, or, or not, not receive the benefits and the blessings of God because you've taken on someone else's cause or hurt or whatever. It's not worth it. It's just, it's not worth it. You know, we all have our own situations and circumstances. We don't need someone else's hanging on to us like a ball and chain. You know, I learned years ago in counseling, just turn it over to God because, you know, when you're counseling different members of the family and they don't know you're counseling with different members and you can't tell them, you have to just turn, keep turning. You cannot take sides. You cannot, you know, do whatever. You have to turn it over to God and let God be God. That's just, just how it is. And so, you know, I, we didn't have a big family. Trust me, my brothers did not, because <laughs> I was the baby and I was the one that was spoiled by my dad. They, they kind of, we're staying, we, we don't want her tagging along because there was such an age difference there. And so we were not close, but you know, even in, in big family or churches or whatever, if you're close to someone and you see them hurt or treated wrongly or whatever, try not to get involved in it. Just pull yourself back and turn it over to God who knows how to judge righteously and fairly. Amen. So this is what he's saying. <laughs> Don't get, get, it, get it away from me. Amen. So then it says, this is the message we have heard of him and we declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So we don't want to walk in darkness at all. We want to stay in the light. You know, well, that person is not doing what they're supposed to. Well, unless you're the one over that person or whatever, pray for them. Many times we do not worship. We do not connect with God and feel his presence because we will not acknowledge and confess our sin. Perhaps we need to reverse the order of our service. Instead of ending with the altar call, we should begin with it. You know, if you notice, Pastor always, or if I'm leading prayer, we ask God to forgive us from our, from our sins and any unrighteousness. It's very important when you go to prayer. The Bible says if you have ought against any, before you get forgiveness before you go before God. It's very, very important. I'm paraphrasing it here. Okay. Can you imagine if you had an altar call for those that are dealing with sin at the beginning of the service? We need to confess our need of him in the beginning. We might have true worship experience. We might actually connect with the presence of God. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I, 
am in the car asking, preparing myself to come before God. I mean, that's important to me. I've shared with you when all the kids were little and, and um, our church was, would have been kind of like from going here to San Luis. It was, a long, it was a pretty long drive. We had one bathroom, three boys, four males in the house and one woman. So it could become very irritating on Sunday morning that I was in choir and you were expected to be early. And if you were not early, I mean, anytime you're in ministry, you need to be there early to set up and be prepared. I don't care what ministry it is, whether it's greeter, children, whatever, be prepared, set up, have yourself prepared, whatever. And so if you were late, you got the lecture of the year and everyone looked at you, just stared at you. And so in those days, we didn't have um, two, you weren't going to take two cars to that far. And so we kept, had to keep strife out of the car. And if you have three little boys, it's not easy. He's touching me. I don't care if he's touching you or not. A big deal, you're touching one another. If you got three people in the back seat, somebody's going to be touching somebody every second of the time. And so those of you that have had children know what it's like. And um, I would half the time be running into the choir. It was, it was So I, you think I don't understand what, what you go through, trust me. I remember when pastor was put over the fifth graders. He taught, and I was a disciplinarian. And I'm telling you, that was not a, a grant. And they were almost all, were they fifth grade boys? Was that what it was? Boys. Just what I needed, a group of fifth grade boys along with our three. So, you know, we need to get, get before God and be ready. Be ready for, you know, that's why it's important every morning, get up and be ready. A passion for the presence will be, evidence by seeking God's face. The children of Israel put away their party mentality and went to the place where God's presence was found. They made a considerable, considerable effort to get there and they stood in anticipation. They were serious worshipers. Let's look at Second Chronicles a second. Put the notes down a minute. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. This is one of my favorite um, chapters in the Bible. Is it, it shows what happens when people come together. <clears throat> Verse 1. After this, the Moabites... The Ammonites, with them, the Mennonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. They had all these ites in those days, if you notice that. It was told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude has come against you from beyond the Dead Sea, from Edom. And behold, they are in Hazon Tamar, which is Endegai. Then Jehoshaphat feared and set himself determinedly. You notice he feared, but he set himself to seek the Lord. You know, he knew 
all these people were coming against him and fear hit him. And the minute, the minute fear hit him, he set himself to seek, to seek the Lord. Determinedly, as his vital need to seek the Lord, he proclaimed a fast in all Judah. He set himself in faith immediately. You know, we know that fear is the complete opposite of faith. You know, the root spirit behind cancer is fear. And when you deal with a person that has cancer, you've got to deal with the fear also, not just the sickness and disease. You've got to deal with that spirit because not just from the cancer itself, but the medications that are given to the person. It makes them whack out. They don't feel they're not normal. Okay. So, and even Judah gathered together, you know, that you deal with that spirit of infirmity and the spirit of fear, gathered together to ask help from the Lord. So he knew they're coming against us. It's going to take all of us to fast and pray. Now today, <laughs> if you asked a city, I hate to say this, if the pastors of this city asked this city, you know, let's come together and fast. How many do you think would do it? We're not going to, you know, just think about that. Yeah. If that. I think, I think in the state of Washington, Washington State, there's only 3% Christians in Washington State. That's a very low percentage of Christians. That's heavy, isn't it? You say 5% would all come together and fast and pray? I would hope. I, well, I would too. I think this church would. I don't think, you know. But so we see here, this was their vital need. He knew this is our vital need. Verse 4, And Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. Even out of the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord, yearning for him and all, with all their desire. Yearning for him with all their desire. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, our God, God our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Now he starts, what he does, if you see this, he starts talking covenant talk to God. He starts reminding God of the covenant they have with him. And this is, when we look at this, this is what we need to really learn from this about prayer. Okay, we've kind of gotten the presence out here for a while, and now we're into prayer, okay? And so he says, he stands them, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Is your hand, in your hand, our power and might, so that none is able to withstand you? He puts it back on God. We're your people, and here they're coming against us to withstand you. And that's how we need to see God. That's how we need to see our relationship with God. And when those try, when, when 
demonic spirits, I don't care what people, whatever, that are being used in the enemy, try to come against us, we need to see that God is bigger and we are going to cry out to God who is our protector, Psalm 91. You know, recently someone asked me to pray about some today and I texted back, what are the scriptures you're standing on so I can stand on those with you? Okay, okay, so yearning for him with all their desire. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house. Lord God of our fathers, you're the God of heaven. And do you not rule over the kingdoms and the nations? So he's saying, you're greater than anything. That's how we need to come to God. God, you're greater than anything. You're greater than any situation. God, you're greater than this mess that we're in right now in our nation. We need, we need you. Um, and then he goes on to say, did, did not you, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Are we of the seed of Abraham? Actually, we have a better covenant because of Jesus. But how often do you remind God of your covenant in Him and who He is? This is so, so very important in your lives, in, in our lives. They dwelt in and have built you a sanctuary in for your name's saying, If evil comes upon us, verse 9, the sword of judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name and the symbol of your presence is in this house. And we cry to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. So they're telling God what his word says. You will heal and you will hear us and you will save us. You know, that's why Psalms 107, 19 and 20. They cried unto the Lord and he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions from all destructions that try to come. It's right on the sign. You sent your word and healed us and delivered us. Amen. When people drive by and they see that sign, what are they going to think? If I drove by and I was looking for a church and I needed help, I would look for love. They're exercising faith. They're, they're developing worship and they're walking in integrity. You certainly wouldn't want to walk in here and there'd be a liar. You know, I mean, you know, and then it says Psalms 107, 20, sent his word and healed them and delivered them. So if I was looking for, for that and, you know, if I needed help, that's what I'd be looking for. Okay. So God's expecting us in this body to line up to this. In other words, this is what we are. We're walking in integrity. We are established in love. We're exercising faith. We're developing virtue. Okay. And then it, he goes on here. If evil comes upon us, sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house, before you for your name and the symbol of your presence in this house and cry to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. You will hear and you will save. Well, he's already heard and he's already saved. God just says he wants 
his word spoken back to him. His word will not go void, but it will accomplish the thing that it was sent to do. Amen. But if we're not speaking it forth, we're not speaking it out, how can it accomplish it? You ever thought about this? Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Praise you, Jesus. And then he goes on and tells them, now behold the man in verse 10, tells them they, they want to, whom you, from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they turned from and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. God's possession that God has given us to inherit. So he has given us his possessions to inherit. Praise God. For, our, for, oh, our God, will you not exercise judgment upon them? For we have no might to stand against this great company that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In other words, God, we need your help. You tell us what to do and what you tell them to do. He, he, he tells them in 17, he goes 16, and goes down, go down there, and he says, 17, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Take your positions, stand still, and see the deliverance of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord God is with you. Do you notice how many times God says, Fear not, or be dismayed? Fear not, be thou, don't, do not be dismayed. Don't, in other words, the thing isn't even happened. Why are you concerned about it? What does my word say? Amen. Then he tells them, what does he tell them to do? He tells them, and Jehoshaphat bowed, Jehoshaphat bowed his head and his face to the ground, and Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And so they, he goes on to, and tells them what he wants them to do, and he said, and when he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and uh, army to, said, Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children. And they went in and it took them three days to gather up all the spoil. They didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was praise God, was be obedient, go out and praise the Lord. That's how important it is to get into praise and worship when we come together in unity. When you can get together in unity, praising and worshiping God, the enemy goes out and the things that are, the enemy's, not the God goes forth and those that things that the enemy has said against you are being destroyed by God just for praising and worshiping, for repenting, praising and worshiping, and speaking forth the word of God. 
Think how powerful that is. That is so powerful. Hmm. Well, I'm going to stop. I must have just chew on this tonight. Well, I'll just finish. I got a three paragraphs. The Lord had promised over and over in his word that if we will seek his face, he will be found. In Exodus 33, 18, Moses asked a special favor of the Lord, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. We should all be asking God this. Show me thy glory when we come together. God, show us your glory. Moses had a desire and a passion to see more and know more of God. The Lord honored his request because he longs for us to seek him and worship him. God longs for that. The Bible says we were created to worship him. Ask yourself, do you long to feel God's presence? Do you thirst to hear his voice? Will you be disappointed to leave here and your heart not be stirred, moved, and changed? Every time we come to church, I want to be moved, stirred, and changed. Stirred, moved, and changed. We must, as God's people, put a passion of God's presence back in our lives and into our worship. Instead of daring worship leaders to draw us into worship, we must enter with a desire to worship. We must burn with a passion to be people of the presence. People of his presence. Praise you, Father. I'm going to just stop here. I want us to really think about, you know, between now and Sunday, read Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 20. Read it and see what areas that you, you know, as families or couples or whatever, yourself need to come before God and say, okay, Lord, the enemy has tried, is trying to steal your inheritance from me. What do I do? Well, number one, repent. Number two, start praising. Start praising like you've never praised and worshipped before in your life. If you need to call a fast, call a fast. It's amazing. He called a fast. They all came and they all did it. In the children, the animals, everybody went on a fast. Thank God. Just read this and, and do me a favor. Write, write it, just write and put my name on it on the back table or whatever, what you got out of this. Okay? I think if you need to go with her, John. Okay, you sure? Because I'm done. Praise you. Okay. 
So read this and see areas where the enemy is, is stealing from you or has stole from you or, or whatever. Go down this list and say, okay, God, I see what you're saying. Am I talking covenant talk in circumstances and situations? Or am I confessing what the enemy wants me to confess over this? You know, what we confess over our children is so important because God has placed us as covering over them, especially until they're of age. And what we confess, God hears and God does. If we confess garbage, the enemy hears it. He says, well, you know what? If the parents are confessing this, then I guess I have a right to continue. But when the parents stand up and say, that's it, it's over. The Bible says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things not seen. And so, you know, when we were praying for the kids in the children's church tonight, I was praying, yes, God, they are disciples taught of the Lord, great is their peace and undisturbed composure. You know, there are scriptures that we need to pray over our kids, those kids, your kids at the school. And you watch after a time the change that takes place in them. You know, and even in your school, Laurel, you can get away with teaching them. You are a disciple taught of the Lord, and great is your peace and undisturbed composure. I don't care what they acted like. This is what you are. <laughs> you will be. Father, I just thank you. I pray over our tithes and offerings tonight. I thank you, Father, that in the name of Jesus, your word has gone forth tonight. We read what your word says. We know we have two months and that you desire for this country to have a turnaround. There's things in people's lives, Father God, that we need to learn how to pray correctly, line our lives up correctly in our words, in our worship. And I pray, Father, we desire to see your glory. Show us your glory. In church, in our homes, in our cars. Show us your glory, Father, especially your word says when we come to the house of the Lord, this is where you desire to show your glory. And that's our prayer, Father, in Jesus' name. Father, over our tithes and offerings, we thank you that you personally rebuke Satan, the devourer, for our sake, and pour out a blessing that there's not enough room to contain it. Christine put a great scripture in this calendar this, this month, Job 22, 28. Thou shalt also decree a thing, and it, sh it will be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. And this, I'm saying this over each one of us. We shall also decree a thing, 
and it will be established unto us, and the light shall shine upon our ways. Glory to God. So this week, go out and start decreeing some things. In Jesus' name, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You're excused. Is there a bucket? There's a bucket back there. Thanks, John, for taking over that tonight.